Uh, well, good morning. Like Pastor Joy said, we're finishing up our uh, sermon series from pew sitter to pillar. And um, just a little recap, kind of what I was, as I was putting this together, some things that I had remembered over the last several weeks. Um, we've talked about um, just the idea of pew sitter to pillar to me talks about uh, spiritual growth, maturity, um, concepts and actions that can lead to that growth. Uh, we talked about stepping out beyond the pew beyond a posture of sitting and receiving in the church and putting your faith into action and actually beginning to give what God has given you instead of just sitting and receiving. We talked about sowing spiritual seeds. Pastor Josh two weeks ago talked about, gave the parable of the sower um, and the soil of the heart and uh, what the different soils represent. And then last week, Pastor Joy talked about the signs of... um, immaturities as a believer. I think she went through seven of them, um, and they were really good. And I will, one last time, give the definition of what a pillar is. Uh, Before we do, though, I'd like to pray real quick. Uh, Father God, we thank you, Lord, uh, for this morning. God, we thank you for your presence during worship. God, we thank you uh, just for the breaking of bread and the, uh, just the communion, God. I pray that just the reality of what that means God, that your spirit would minister that to our hearts. That's a very important thing, God. You took time the night before you died uh, to make it a point to give that to us, God. So I pray that your spirit would just open up what that truly means, God. I pray that you would uh, just speak your word this morning, God. Um, We need you, Lord. It's your word that changes our hearts, God. It's your spirit that ministers truth to us, God. And I pray that uh, your word would accomplish what it is sent out to do, as we know it will, in Jesus' name. Amen. A pillar is defined as a tall vertical structure of stone, wood, metal used as a support for a building or as an ornament or monument. Spiritually speaking, um, a pillar would be in the church a solid man or woman of God who supports the body. Um, I don't know if anybody comes to mind when you think of what a pillar is. I have a few uh, men and women that I've met um, throughout my walk with God that I that just really stand out to me as pillars, and I think they're just solid. And you know them when you meet them. They're just unshakable, immovable, solid men and women of God. Their faith is firm. Uh, they're, they're, just, they're just solid. That's the word that comes to mind. So when um, praying and preparing for uh, this sermon, God just kind of brought it to my mind that to have a solid pillar, you have to have a solid foundation for that pillar to stand on. So I'm going to talk this morning just about, just about the, laying the foundation um, and what I feel God wants his church to build, the foundation of the church and of the pillars men and women of God upon. So a foundation is anything, that on which anything stands, and by which it is supported, the lowest supporting layer of a superstructure, groundwork, or basis. No matter how strong, beautiful, or polished something looks, if it is not built on a strong foundation, it will not stand. So a good example to me is um, that I found, and I got a picture up there, is the Leaning Tower of Pisa. That's it. So I kind of did a little bit of research, and the tower started to lean actually during construction. Because the foundation was built on soft ground that had difficulty supporting the weight. And you can see, 
um, out of probably 60 or 70 years. It took them a long time to build it. That was thousands of years ago. But they weren't even done with it yet before it started to lean over. Um, that's, that's building a pillar off of no foundation, a weak foundation, soft. So I have a picture of the Freedom Tower that um, our, our nation built after the Twin Towers fell. And the, the builders of one of the Freedom Tower set a 70-ton piece of steel into place, the largest column yet installed. Each steel column was about 60 feet long. The columns at the bottom of the tower's foundations were about 35 feet long. So to give kind of a side-by-side -side view of these two buildings, one of them, uh, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, is 186 feet tall, and it's leaning to the side. The Freedom Tower is 1,792 feet tall, and it is solid, and it's not going anywhere. And I don't have this up there, but I also look, because that's a new building, so I went back and I looked at the Empire State Building when it was built, the tallest structure in the world, 1,454 feet, and it was built in 1930. Uh, we were in New York in um, December and went to the top of it. It's an 80-year-old building, solid, 1,500 feet in the air. It's foundation. It is built on a solid foundation. So what I believe, um, well, I'll get to that. All right, so Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, that says 7, but it's actually 6, um, 46 through 49. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been built well. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So the, the purpose of that um, little parable Jesus gave is him saying that he is the foundation upon which we are to build. Jesus is the rock, the solid rock that we are to build our lives upon is Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. So our foundation is to be placed on the rock, who we know to be Jesus. So when he's talking in this parable, he talks about hearing his words and doing them. So Jesus had a three-year ministry and said a lot of things. So in praying on what exactly we want to focus on this morning as Jesus' words to hear and then do, um, I just feel like God put love. He put love on my heart. Matthew 22, 36 through 39. The Pharisees at this point, um, if you read through the New Testament, you know that they were constantly trying to trip Jesus up and they were asking him questions. Um, just coming after him, he came after the Pharisees for their hypocrisy and their religious spirit um, and their legalism and all those things. And, and they obviously threatened, um, would, would come back at him. So they asked him a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the, in the law? So he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and all of the prophets. 
So Jesus, being God in the flesh, God on earth, was asked a point-blank question, what is the greatest commandment that you have given us? And his answer is love. Love me with everything you have, and then love people. Love God and love people. That's the greatest commandment. That's the greatest thing that we can aspire to. That is what we are to as we seek to mature in the Lord, as we seek to grow in the Lord, as we, if you desire, if this is a desire of yours as you sat through these messages, to become a pillar in the kingdom of God, you have to build it on love. And we'll get through some of the things that, kind of, I would say, prove that, that in Scripture. John 13, 34, and 35. This is shortly before Jesus' um, Jesus's crucifixion. John, John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 are all really powerful um, chapters in the Bible. They're Jesus. That's just the heart of God. If you really want to see the heart of God, um, read those four chapters. So he's talking to his disciples, and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And I think this verse 35 is one of the most powerful verses um, in the Bible. And I think it's one of the, one of the verses that we as, as Christian and, and believers should stand on. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The world will know that we belong to God by the way we love each other within this building, how we love each other. Build a foundation of love. You will know that, what you, that you have done this when you love God, when you love others more than yourself, which means putting people above yourself, sacrificing. The Bible teaches us um, that, that, it's, that it's love that initially draws us to God. That's what brought me to God first. I've been raised in the church. I'd heard the messages my whole life. I'd heard the, at, four, at fourth grade, I think I was in fourth grade, we were at a church sermon, and my mom still kind of jokes about this, but the preacher gave the most vivid, frightening sermon on hell that a nine-year-old boy could ever hear in his life. And as soon as he gave the altar call, I beelined it straight up to the <laughs> altar. Gave my life to God, or so I thought. Um, that, was, that was done out of fear of hell. And Jesus talked a lot about hell, and there's legitimacy um, to, to teachings on hell. Jesus talked a lot about that. It's a reality that God teaches. But that's not what brought me to God. It was, it was his love. The Bible tells us that it's his kindness towards us that leads us to repentance. It's when you really grab a hold of this truth that God loves you, that you're willing to give your life to him, that he loves you. You look, um, at, at, and this is just kind of a side note, you look at some, some people who lead, leaders who lead um, out of fear, and their leadership and their devotion only lasts as long as their arm can reach, right? As soon as somebody, there's no loyalty there, it's just fear. There's no loyalty. Loyalty to leadership is born out of respect and love. Just like our loyalty and devotion to God has to be built on love. And it's his love. I'll tell you one of the greatest truths that, I, um, that changed my life is that God loves you despite you. It's not because of who you are. It's because of who he is. Love is the character of God. God doesn't come to us because we're great. Uh, when God reached into my life, I was not great. Um, he wasn't smiling down on my life like I want this guy in my kingdom. His love for me depended, and he, he said that to me, his love for me depended upon him. 
So this is a, a, to me, this is a basic teaching scripturally, right? Everybody has probably heard all of this, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's one of the first verses we teach our kids in Sunday school to memorize. It's, and it's a foundational verse, and it's awesome. And everybody knows that God loves you. But if that's the truth, then why aren't people building their foundations on love? Why don't we see this in the church? So one of the reasons that I believe we don't see this in the church is people get, we get caught up in doing for God. There's this thing within us, and the Pharisees, and when you read through Scripture, the Pharisees got caught up in this. They believed that they could earn God's love or earn standing with God, or when they realize the truth that God loves them, their response is to somehow prove themselves worthy of God's love. That is an absolute futile endeavor. It's fruitless. It will leave you frustrated, and you will gain no more honor with God because you're a good boy today. Because then when you're bad tomorrow, because you will be, because you're a human, then all of a sudden God loves you just a little bit less. And then you're walking under that condemnation that because I messed up today, that God doesn't love me quite as much as he did yesterday because I had a really good day. So I believe we struggle with this because we get caught in action. It's hard day in and day out living with myself because I know me. My wife does too. (laughs) Uh, Your wife knows you. Your husband knows you. The people close to you know you. And it's hard living day in and day out knowing myself, knowing my flaws, to be able to accept that God loves me in spite of all of that. We initially grab hold of his love, but getting beyond that, it's easy to break down our faith and our response to that love into something that I can understand, something tangible, which is me doing something for God. You hear a lot of times people talk about love as an action. That's the way love has been described to me, that love is a verb. Love is is something you do. It's a choice that you make, and I agree with that. But how many of us get stuck on the doing part, on the obeying God, And then the love behind that obedience gets lost. We make our faith and our love for God about what we do, and it's no longer about the love of God. Now, you can't really talk about love without going to 1 Corinthians 13. So I have most of that chapter in this. um, And this this is a powerful chapter if you can really, really, really grab a hold of it. So I'm going to start 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak... In the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing." The first thing I think of when I read this is that it is possible to have prophetic giftings, to have visions, to have dreams. It's possible to give all that you have. It's possible to do these things and not have love. Or else Paul wouldn't even be saying this. It would be pointless to say it, right? So there's a reason that he's saying this to people because you have a lot of doing, but there's no love to back it up. And he tells us that you can do all of it and it's just noise. It literally means nothing. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, this is a hard verse. These are hard verses right here. Jesus talking 
to his followers. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Remember, this is the same Jesus when they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? He said to love God and to love people. That's the will of God in our lives. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? And then he will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am nothing. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, doing obedience is a reality in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, why do you say you love me but you don't obey me? Right? But that obedience doesn't earn the love. The obedience to God is born out of love. It's a reaction to our love for God. In this passage in Matthew, Jesus is speaking to those who are doing and have dedicated their lives to him. Like, look at all we've done for you, Jesus. Look at all we've done for you. And he says, I don't even know you. How do you serve God your entire life and do all these mighty things and get before Jesus? And he says, I don't even know you. First John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So in the second part of that passage, it says, uh, it's talking to those who come to Jesus. Uh, the first passage I read about building your house on the solid rock. You come to Jesus, you hear his words, and then you do them. Jesus is telling us that it doesn't matter how much good stuff you do, you do for God. If it's not based out of a love for God, then it's meaningless and it's pointless. You can't, you can't do all of this stuff without first accepting God's love for you. And that's more what I want this morning if we walk out of here with anything. It is that God loves us. That he loves us. And it's not because of who we are or what we've done. You can't earn it. He just loves you because of who he is. That's his character. That's who he is. We never got the last name for this guy, Jerry. <laughs> I have a quote from a guy named Jerry. I forgot his last name. He says, <laughs> God bless Jerry. God's unfailing love for us is an objective fact affirmed over and over in the scriptures. It is true whether we believe it or not. Our doubts do not destroy it. Our, our faith does not create it. It originates in the very nature of God, who is love, and it flows to us through our union with his beloved son, Jerry. Oh, it's up there. Jerry Bridges. So how do we accept God's love? It's faith, right? It's faith. It, it comes to mind that God says to, have, to come to God, you have to have faith like a child, right? And you look at how a child acts or receives love. A child has no problem receiving love. 
parents. I don't have a child, but I watch people with their kids. Uh, but they'll receive love. We'll talk a little bit later about that. Carefully, right, babe? <laughs> love is always a response to love. Our love has to be born out of a response of God's love for us. If you struggle with loving God, it's because you struggle to understand how much he loves you. If you struggle to love others, it's because you struggle to understand how much God loves you. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. How simple is that? And how, how, yet how, how hard it is to take that in and walk on that. That's, I would say you want to build, you want to become a pillar in the kingdom of God. You want to build it on a solid foundation. We love because he loved us. That's the foundation that the kingdom of God is built on. The entirety of the kingdom of God is built on God's love for us because God is love. True love takes action. It's a verb, remember? God proves that. God poured out his love for us on the cross. He crushed his son that you may live. In Isaiah, it says that it pleased him. It pleased God to crush his son because he knew the fruit that would come from that, which is our reconciliation back in to that love and that relationship. When you allow your joy and peace to come from the, the perfect merit of Christ, you understand God's love better. It is not dependent on what you do, what you're going to do, or what you have done. God showed his love for us by what he did. He showed us he loved us. Our love for God and love for others has to be a response to his love for us. It has to be rooted and grounded in his love. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This is Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I would encourage you when you leave here today and just throughout this week to ask God to show you his love for you. He'll show you. Just ask him, and he'll show you. So when we begin to build ourselves on, on this truth that God loves us and it's God's love that changes us, what does that look like? I believe that we begin to exhibit the... the, the John chapter 14, Jesus says, he's talking about the true vine. I am the true vine. And he says to abide in him. If you abide in Christ, if you walk with Christ, if you're in fellowship with Christ, he says you will bear much fruit. And the first fruit that he talks about is love. There's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the nine fruits of the Spirit. Love is the very first one. That's what all of it is all built upon this love. So 1 Corinthians, as we continue through 1 Corinthians 13, um, it says what love looks like. And most people have read all of this, 
But I want you to just really ask yourself, the day you came to Christ, if, you've, if you're a follower of Christ, has, has this grown in you? Is, is this growing in you? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And then it goes on into verse 8, but I want to stop for a second and ask, just what, what is it about the love that separates it from everything else in God's character and that we see in the Bible? And I believe that it's because love never ends. And that's verse 8 starts with that love never ends. It is eternal. As for prophecies, they will pass away. There's no need for prophecy in heaven. There's no need for prophetic gifts in heaven. We are fully known. We will be fully known. We put on the incorruptible. There is no need for tongues in heaven. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. There's no need for those things in heaven. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, that partial will pass away. We don't need it. Love is eternal. It never ends. The kingdom of God on this earth as the church, we're to build on love. And when we get to heaven, his kingdom in heaven is built on his love for us. It never ends. It never goes away. So the results of this foundation, this is the part I have to settle down on, huh? Because <laughs> um, I don't have a child. All right, I'm not a father. I don't have a child. So I have to be careful on assumptions I make on parenting. Um, but the way I look at this is, is when, you, when you get into verse 11, it says, when I was a child, I spoke, remember he's talking about love. This chapter is one complete thought. He's talking about love. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. There is a difference between the way a child loves and the way a fully grown man of God loves. Pastor Joy talked about that, the, the image that keeps popping up is the adult with the pacifier. Last week, the immaturities. A child's love is an immature love. I say this politely. Um, a child's love is almost, is, is almost a, a selfish by nature. Give, take, right? The selfish nature of a child's love, it's, a, it's more about taking than it is giving. When we come to Christ and we get planted in a church, when we come to church, it's about getting. It's about getting. What can you do for me instead of giving? A good example I have of this is uh, Pastor Steve Soto uh, in South Toledo. He's Steve's very prophetic, and he gets visions and words all of the time. And I know this, he's never said this, but I can only assume that he gets tired of people like me who are constantly coming to him. So what's God saying about me this week, Steve? So he entertains it for a little bit when you first come to Christ, right? And I'm sure as pastors, you guys have been pastors for a long time, you entertain that for a little bit. I'll pour into you, I'll pour into you. But then the day comes when you go to them, and he's like, why don't you ask? Right? Why don't you go to God? Like, he'll tell you just like he'll tell me. Why do we keep going to people to get? And then I remember another time I asked him, I was, I was in the back, and I, I did sound when I was there. 
And he did sound, and he kind of showed me how to do it and everything. And I was asking him one morning, do you feel like you miss anything in worship? Because you're, you're doing stuff, right? And you're not really in the spirit. And everybody else is in the spirit and praising, and I'm back there trying to do stuff. So I asked him, don't you miss it? And he was like, Jonas, if I come here only to get, if you come here only to get, then you're missing it. He said, I get all week at home in my time with God, and I come here and I give and give and give. And to me, that's what a pillar does in the kingdom of God. They give. They get. You have to get. You have to get filled by God. But if you've been walking, and I know Pastor Joy said this, if you've been walking with God for decades and you're still coming just to get and get and get. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For some of us, and this is myself included, that's why this was challenging for me, Um, because I fall into some of these categories. Like, there's areas that I need to grow in and I need to mature in, and this is one of them. We shouldn't be acting like kids anymore. We shouldn't be loving each other like children. We should be loving like men and women of God. The more you grow, there becomes an outpouring of love, and it becomes a true action of giving. And then verse 13 says, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest is love. St. Augustine says, to fall in love with God is the greatest romance. To seek him is the greatest adventure. To find him is the greatest human achievement. That's so awesome. God showed us his love by sending Jesus. If you want to see God's love, I heard a pastor say this one time, that Jesus Christ was God's, is, is, is a three-dimensional, tangible, physical manifestation of God's heart. If you want to know who God is, look at the life of Jesus. Romans 5, 7, and 8. For one will, this is the life of Jesus. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though, for, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I want to talk a little bit about um, the the love of God is far too deep to to convey in 40 minutes. Um, I would encourage you to get into your word and and begin a conversation with, with God about his love for you and what that means in your life. I would greatly encourage you that. It will absolutely change your life. But when I'm thinking about a foundation, I've done a little bit of construction um, a few years ago uh, before I hurt my back and stuff. And I'm sure some of the men in here, maybe some ladies have done construction as well or have been involved in building. So when you, when you build um, a foundation, the first process of that is digging down and clearing it out. So when I think about that, you think of just, just digging the rocks and the roots and the dirt. And we all have rocks and roots and dirt and filth down in us. So when I, when I look at to be able to build, and, and this part, man, I hope, I, hope, I hope you get this. God wants you to build your foundation on love. But God also wants to go deep. He wants to go deep into us and clean us out. Because you can't build a foundation 
on shaky ground. I did, uh, several years ago, I did um, testing for concrete when the concrete trucks come in. You do um, tests for the strength of it and the slumps and all this other stuff, right? So a part of that company, they did soil tests. So when, when, a, when a company comes in, um, comes in to build something, they test the soil, you test the moisture, and everything. You test everything about the, the makeup of the soil, how much moisture it holds, sand, and all that other stuff, um, to see if it'll even hold the structure that it's going to, going to build. And that's what this, this puts me in mind of. And, and just when, when Pastor Josh was talking about the soils of our heart, and is it, is, it, is it good soil? Do you have good soil for God to build on? Are you accepting his love for him to build off of that foundation of love? When I came to God, I've told you, when I spoke last time, I talked a little bit about um, kind of my life, and I'll share a little bit more of when I actually gave my life to God. I grew up around the church. My mom and dad took us to church, and they read the Bible to us, and I've known God my whole life, and, you know, I felt God speak to me at a young age. I had my I don't want to go to hell experience when I was nine years old, and I lived a very, very sinful, drug-filled, partying, decadent life for years. I started at a very young age. I was broken around 11, 12 years old, and I just threw myself into this life of sin, and at 30 years old, almost 20 solid years of doing this, severe addiction to opiates and narcotics for eight or nine years, um, I, I had had enough. Like, I was done. And when I say this, I mean it, that I was literally, it's hard to, hard to picture now because God's done so much in my life, but I was literally, I believe, going to die. Like, I was not going to make it, and I, I didn't care. And, uh, sorry, <laughs> um, I was in my brother's basement. I was living with my brother. I didn't have anywhere else to live. And uh, I was detoxing um, off of pain pills. Um, I won't get into too much. I was doing a lot of stuff. Um, but So I was detoxing, and I was praying, and I was crying out to God. And I, I, there was a moment, and I'll never forget this. This shifted eternity for me. My mom had asked me one time, Jonas, when did you become saved? And I said, oh, I've, I've always known God. Like, I thought I was saved. Like, I've always known God, Mom, since I was a small child. Don't you remember me saying, Mom, God told me I was going to be this and that when I was like three and four years old. And she was like, honey, it doesn't work that way. Like, there has to be a moment when Jesus called your name and you said, okay, I'll follow you. She said, you need that moment, and I hadn't had it yet. But it happened about five years ago, right around this time. It was in the summer, and I was living in my brother's basement. And I remember there was about four or five days in a row. Um, I was detoxing really, really bad, and I was really sick and just cramping up and sweating. And you get real vulnerable, and it's, it's a very vile feeling to come, if anybody in here has ever done it, to come off of this stuff. And it was by choice. Like, God, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to die and I remember, and I was literally face down on the floor in the basement on tile, and I was crying, pouring, and, and just crying to God, save me. And he broke in through all of that, and he said, I love you. Like, just, just, just shut up. I love you. And he told me on the floor in my brother's basement, coming out of decade, two decades of drug abuse and sin, detoxing off of narcotics, snotty, sweaty, 
disgusting and said to me, and I heard the Holy Spirit say this to me, there's literally nothing you can do to make me love you any more or any less than I love you right now. Today, I've been serving God for about four years or so after Teen Challenge, three and a half, four years. God doesn't love me more today standing in front of you obeying and teaching his word than he loved me laying in that basement detoxing off of drugs or even years before that leading up to all of that when I was in, in the midst of my drug abuse and I didn't even care. Like, I didn't even care. He doesn't love me more today. There's nothing we can do to earn it. And then God lifted me up and he brought me up to Toledo and introduced me to pastors Josh and Joy who poured into me and loved on me and my mother-in-law and, and my wife and her family. And I went to Teen Challenge because uh, I just couldn't stop. Even that moment, that love I knew that God had for me, how, it shifted me and I heard God say, and I said to God that night, what do you want me to do? And he said, I want you to get up on your feet like a man and I want you to follow after me. And I said, okay. And a year later, I still couldn't control that. And God, God, God opened up the door for me to go to Western Michigan Teen Challenge. And what God did for me there is what I'm talking about now, which is digging deep and clearing out the filth so that you can even build a foundation. You can't build a foundation on the filth of your past. God has to clean it up. And his blood covers it, but we know that... W- that yes, God forgives, but, but what that did to me, it changed me as a man. It twisted up my thinking. It twisted up the way that I was treating people and the way that I processed, thought, my thought process was way out of whack. Even though I was serving God, I was just, I was twisted up inside. The way I thought, the way I behaved, all of it was just out of order. And God had to dig, and he had to dig deep. And he spent 13 months in Western Michigan Teen Challenge digging and cleaning and digging and cleaning. So God brought me Jeremiah chapter 18, 1 through 7. Most people know this. The, the, the word of the Lord, excuse me, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house and I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, said, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as the potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And I think that's what the question that God wants to ask each one of us this morning is, are you willing to let God put his hand to you and do that work? There was a moment when I was, when I was up there, when I was praying at the altar. I'd been up there like nine months. I'm making mistakes, still me. And I remember praying and I said, I said, God, I thought I would be further along than this. Right? I thought I, I, I'm still doing this. What's going on? And he said to me, he said, if I wanted you further along, you would be further along. I know how to press you. I know how to stretch you. I know what I'm doing. He told me, and I I heard God say this. He said, I have been doing this for thousands and hundreds of thousands of people for thousands of years. I know what I'm doing. We have to trust that God knows what he's doing. 
First, you have to be willing to let God put his hand to you. To let the Holy Spirit come inside of you. And then you have to trust that God knows what he's doing because there's going to be times where you're like, what is this? (laughs) Right? When I went up there, I did genuinely. I thought, all right, God, like this is what we're going to work on. It is not at all where he started. He started in areas that I I didn't even, it wasn't even on my radar that this was an issue. But God knows where the roots are. God knows where to pluck that out. We look at the manifestation of the root of what's going on. The Holy Spirit wants to get down into the root of what's going on inside of us. And we have to trust him. We have to accept his love. We have to allow him into our lives to work. And then we have to trust the process that he knows what he's doing. He knows who he wants you to become, and he knows how to get you there if you would just trust him. If I could have everybody stand up, if you would. I've never really, this is only my second time ever preaching, and I've never really done an altar call, but that doesn't matter. Because I know that God, God wants to do this in every single one of us. There's not a single person in this room that God does not want to do this work in. Even if he's been doing it for 50 years, there's still more, there's always more. There's always deeper. God, there, there is no, we have all of eternity to, to try to get a hold of the depth of God. And we'll probably spend all of eternity still not reaching the depth of God. So I know every single person in here can have this and, and receive this. So I would just wonder if there's, if there's anybody really that just wants a special prayer, if you've never begun this process, if you're struggling with accepting the love of God, to, to just come up for prayer. Like this is about, this is about God. This is about God's love for you. This is your soul. This is your life and your future. Nothing else matters. Kick every thought out of your head. The question at the beginning of this of this sermon series is, do you want to be a pillar in the kingdom of God? Is that a desire of your heart to be a pillar in the kingdom of God? Are you willing to let God lay a solid foundation for you to become a pillar? There are men and women here that would love to pray with you. If anybody needs prayer, you're more than welcome to come forward. I'm just going to go ahead and pray, um, and we can be dismissed. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for your word, God. The delivery of your word is irrelevant, God. The vessel that delivers your word, God, is irrelevant. It's your word that changes our hearts. It's your Holy Spirit that desires to work in us and through us, God. And I pray for the men and women in this room this morning, Father God, that you would, as as we leave here today, because it's not about up front. You're more than welcome to come up front. But God's concerned with this afternoon. And he's concerned with with you laying in bed tonight as you're trying to fall asleep. And that's where I would encourage you to reach out to God and just ask him to reveal himself to you to reveal his love for you. And I would really encourage you to invite God to begin that work in your life. 
Amen. I've been working on a two-story house. And uh, there's a portion of this house that is sagging. And so I was in the basement, and I tried some hydraulic jacks. They couldn't do it. I tried a screw jack, but I couldn't get enough force to budge this wall. Then I bought one of those round steel posts, you know, that you can adjust in a basement. And I bought the heaviest duty one that I could get, a strong pillar, to try to straighten up a heavy weight, a structure, uh, to make this home a better home, a house a better home. And I cranked on that thing, and I cranked on it. And it got tighter and harder and harder to move it. I moved it a little bit, spent so much effort in trying to get this house to where it needs to be try to establish this house the way it was designed, the way it was supposed to be, and all my efforts were failing. And I'm beginning to see I'm getting some progress. It gets tighter and tighter. You know, when you're taking a two-story house and you're raising it up and you're in the basement, there's a little bit of fear that takes place in your life. And all of a sudden, I hear a noise that'll scare the daylights out of you because something broke. Something gave way and that house came down. In that basement is a slab of concrete, a lot of concrete. But it's only probably about four inches thick. And where that pillar was sitting, it broke the concrete right around that pillar. There was a lot of concrete there, but the concrete didn't go deep enough. If love doesn't go deep enough, it doesn't matter how strong the pillar is. That big project that you're trying to move, you're trying to change in your life without a strong foundation of love, it won't support it. And you'll be frustrated. You can try the hydraulic jack. You can try the screw jack. You can try the pillar. But without the foundation of love, establishing that house will never be established. I just couldn't get that off my heart. I hope it touches your heart. If you're dealing with something, you're struggling with something in your life, take this word this morning. Take it to heart and establish that foundation of love. Let your love with Christ, let your love for others, let it grow deeper. It'll never be deep enough, I can tell you. But the deeper it is, the more you're going to be able to support. Amen.